Corby Gallery has been making a name for herself in the South for her colorful and iconic portraits. Her pieces are all designed to not only show off the subject of the painting, but to also bring a beautiful and exciting piece of artwork into your home. Her new portrait series, Icons and Idols, showcases some of the most memorable faces in music. Each original portrait is hand-painted and designed to showcase their most iconic music and images. These paintings have the most famous faces in music, depicting everyone from Louis Armstrong and the Beatles to Billie Eilish and Beyonce. All of her portraits are also available in 8x8 inch art prints that make the perfect gift for the music lover in your life this Christmas. Use our code CYA15 at CoraBGallery.com for 15% off your first order. Again, that is code CYA15 at CoraBGallery.com for 15% off your first order. Hey guys, I'm Katie. And I'm Alexis, and this is the Check Your Aesthetic podcast. Hello, Katie. Uh, Alexis told me she had something that she had to tell me. Yes. But we had to wait till she, until we started recording, so now I want to know what it is. Well, because we were supposed to start recording at 5, and it is 5.06. And the reason why was because I was on the phone with my friend. And this is the friend that I was going to be going to New York City with. Oh, are you not going anymore? I think we're not. Which is like, ugh. It's just like, because... It's because of the new variant, and, like, they put, like, oh. their... Yep. Queen got Queen got her booster, <laughs> like, an hour ago. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I... There's a new variant, obviously, and then they put, like, barricades around the tree, so you can't... You can see it from, like, way far away. They are now talking about... Did they do that because of COVID? Yeah, and they're now doing mm-hmm. a thing where, like, um, you can't do the ice skating rink unless you're a New York resident and like a bunch of stores are shutting down for the season and most hotels are making you do like a rapid test as soon as you get there and like crazy because like not crazy like I know it's serious but like nowhere at least where I am it's like nothing has changed at all honestly like like, Vermont is the number one state of how they've reacted to COVID and like we haven't changed that much. I mean, it's very different, obviously, because it's freaking New York City. So, like, mm-hmm. makes sense. But, yeah, it's just, like, I don't know. We we hadn't talked about it for very long because she called me, like, two minutes before I was supposed to jump on with you. So, um, we haven't talked about it a lot. But it just, like, didn't seem like good timing. And we would much rather, like, we might go, like, in the spring when it's, like... Well, yeah, because if you couldn't do anything, then going during Christmas is just going to make it, like, you're paying probably more, more to be to there be but there. for like there not even to be anything for you to do yeah and also like covid like covid wise there also are going to be like so many more people and everything so mm-hmm. it just makes more sense to like i don't know and then also like i do have a friend's wedding coming up so saving money like in that aspect yeah. is probably the more financial like idea um or the like more the, financial idea. The, the smarter financial <laughs> the more idea. Financial um, idea. But we talked about maybe getting instead, because um, I love her mom. Her mom in high school was literally my mom. Um, but we were going to go with her mom. And so we were talking about maybe getting like an Airbnb in Vermont or like in like. Yeah, a, I was about to say like Stowe or something. Yeah, in Stowe, like a cute cabin or something. Or she talked about coming. I go to Vermont once and I'm like, what about Stowe? <laughs> Waterbury. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. so I, I know those places all too well. Yeah. 
<laughs> you haven't even like stepped foot. You just you we we, we went to the Ben and Jerry's muse or museum factory for like we turned around. We, we like were standing in line and we were like this is too long. Absolutely not. <laughs> turned around. And then we got Ben and Jerry's from uh Hannaford. the grocery store. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we drove through Stowe. We didn't even get all out of the car. No. We don't really like I mean, okay, I was about to say it like treasonous thing to say that you don't really need to get out of the store and this the car in Stowe because that is such a lie like it is such a beautiful place so you can definitely do a lot of stuff but for yeah, me yeah but we weren't gonna like hike so yeah we didn't yeah yeah but I saw the things I saw all the places yeah that's all you really I need. saw what I needed to see yeah we went up the pinwheel you almost threw up you know mm-hmm. it's a vibe. I have such bad car sickness I uh, that is the worst thing about like making any sort of new friend or like anything is I have to be like so <laughs> and there it's like so awkward and I'm like I promise I'm not like a baby I just it's just how I am it's just a part of me but yeah I just went to get my booster I don't know I was just like sitting on my couch and I was like maybe I should get my booster and then I signed up and to get my did. booster and she so went. I got it and I th- I'm sure I'll be f- I feel fine I took my Tylenol so yep if you're listening you this is your sign to sign up to get your booster if you are due Yes. Because I was just, like, putting it off like I do a flu shot. But then I was like, I don't really want to get COVID on Christmas. So. Yeah, maybe that's my sign that I should go do that soon. Yeah, it just, like, the timing of it, I was like, it's about to be nasty season. And, like, I really don't want to be sick for all the holidays. So, you know. Is what it is. You know. I'm just going to have a bad reaction. I just have to, like, be prepared. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I don't, I don't, we'll see. I'll keep you updated, I'm sure. All I do all day is text Alexis, like, random updates about, like, what I'm doing. Like, uh, that's I'm us and That is our entire friendship, no, is us. We're like, I'm anxious. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm uh, depressed before today. we, before <laughs> we got on this call, I'm like, I'm, like, super anxious. And Katie's like, oh, my God, do you need me, like, do you need, like, help? And I'm like, it's, it's okay, it's literally just because I had coffee. That is the oh singular reason why I'm anxious today. I My body, like, can't metabolize caffeine. I think that that's... I've been having... I had a couple issues. I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast, but I definitely talked about it with you, Alexis, where when my anxiety was really bad, um, which I don't know how much I talked about on the podcast, but recently, like, probably a month to two months ago, I had, like, a really bad spike in my anxiety where it was, like almost unmanageable (laughs) like it was just a really bad a really bad time but it's okay we're because I'm fine now but I had to stop drinking coffee and y'all know like Mm. if y'all know me like uh, you know but I had to stop drinking coffee for like two weeks because I I couldn't like I would literally drink it I didn't know that wow yeah I didn't I literally didn't drink coffee for two weeks um and that I, I was like working and everything but I just couldn't do it and now I'm back to drinking it um I didn't have any today I had a giant diet coke instead but actually now I'm realizing that it definitely makes sense why I feel this way because it was definitely like 3 30 when Austin was like do you want Starbucks and then um my normal drink which is like an iced chai tea latte which has like a little bit of caffeine but that's like very manageable mm-hmm. caffeine so instead I got a peppermint mocha which has three yeah. shots of espresso so that's what I drink every morning for me, that's, like, literal cocaine. So... I don't understand how people drink, like, shots with, like... I mean, drinks with, like, five shots of espresso. I drink a lot of coffee, and I can only do three. If I do more than three... Mm-mm. Yeah. 
Anyways, we should probably talk about what we're talking about today. Who yes, we, have we actually haven't we haven't recorded with her like we're recording this intro before. I always feel like we need to say that because like if we say something that's <laughs> wrong, like yeah, like if we pronounce our name wrong or something. Um, but we have Betsy Mosby on. She is an interior designer, I believe, out of Jackson, Mississippi. Yes, um, and her stuff is I, gorgeous. Yes, like, I, it's absolutely amazing. We were in awe looking at her Instagram prepping for this. Um, but yeah, she literally has the best style. I feel like it's kind of like a good mix between me and Alexis's kind of Yes, like that is a good explanation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, anyway, I, I can't tell you what we talked about because we don't <laughs> we really haven't know talked yet. about it yet. But. <laughs> but we are very excited to chat with her um, and it's we're, we're loving getting like different kinds of creatives on the podcast mm-hmm. um so not just people who are in like graphic design or like influencing right. you know, we've had a lot of influencers recently so right we're you know it's just how the um the cards kind of fell but yeah so we're super excited to chat with her kind of about how she landed in um the interior design field as well as kind of like as somebody who's such a service-based business that's also has so much to do with connections, kind of like how to get clients, how right. to keep clients, how that has kind of changed throughout her career. Right. Because, um, you know, the way you get clients in the beginning is different than how you get clients After near, you're, like, more, when you're established. more established. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just going to go ahead and assume it was a great conversation. And I you already should stay know tuned. it's going to be. So definitely yeah. listen. <laughs> definitely listen um oh we need to read our review alexis oh yes forgot about forgot about our review okay guys if you haven't heard the news we're reading a review leave your instagram in your review we'll shout you out um this is the little title says a must listen star emoji i agree to be honest i'm not super big into podcasts but this one is definitely an exception wow these girls are so upli- uplifting and genuine and funny and provide they were gonna awesome say ugly. content. These girls are so no. ugly. <laughs> we're not ugly. We're just funny. Sometimes that means the same. Um, <laughs> I'm not even in the graphic design field. Parentheses. Healthcare grad student. But listening to this podcast truly brightens my week. Hmm. And her username is girl next door. But Love it's spelled it. girl, G-U-R-L, N-X-T-D-U-R. So it's girl next door. Thank you, girl next door. I am actually, I love that she isn't in the field at all and still enjoys the podcast. Yeah, that actually makes me very happy that she still finds entertainment. Thanks, girl next door. Girl next door is really just our number one fan, honestly. We love you, girl next door. I hope Mm -hmm. she's listening to this. Mm -hmm. Shout out. Shout out, girl next door. I guarantee you that everybody on like Apple doesn't know what their usernames are. Like, I would not know what my username would be if I submitted a review. Yeah, I wonder if it's just your Apple ID. We should start leaving reviews for our own. <laughs> this is the it's best probably, podcast ever. Honestly, mine is probably like Dancer Girl 27802. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was <laughs> Dance's Life XO. Actually, I think my Pinterest, like, user is literally like dancer vt 802 dude my uh spotify username is horrifyingly embarrassing because i was trying to be like quirky 
girl. Quirky Tumblr, um, Tumblr girl. <laughs> literally. And so do you remember that phase in Tumblr when everybody made their Tumblrs, like, like they were putting, like, ugh in the middle of words and, like, replaced, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know? So mine mm-hmm. is, instead of citrus, it's citrugs. <laughs> drug what the hell (laughs) like i don't even like every time that like i'm like rose about to start barking guys she thinks it's funny too um every time that i'm like trying to like connect with somebody on spotify i'm like what's your username and then i follow them because it shows up as katie campbell Mm -hmm. because like you know it shows up as your display name but you can't change your spotify username fun fact so don't make it citrugs anyway that is truly embarrassing i know it is um but should we go ahead and and get into the the meat the meat the, the meat the taters meat of the episode <laughs> guys imagine if we did a meet and greet we wouldn't somebody said we should do one in boston and we were like no we'll be the only person that comes so that's not happening <laughs> yeah anyway no, peace no, and love. okay well keep listening to be inspired <laughs> yes okay <laughs> bye bye <laughs> Hi, Betsy. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Of course. We was, we're so excited. We were talking in our intro that we just recorded about how beautiful your Instagram is and how beautiful your stuff is. So we, we're so excited. You're our first interior designer on the podcast. So. Oh, well, thank you. I'm honored. <laughs> I appreciate being, being asked. We're super excited. Um, so we start with the same question for all of our guests. So that's where we'll start. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, tell everybody kind of the spiel about you, um, how you got to where you are, just kind of like everything they would need to know. Okay, great. Um, so my name is Betsy Mosby. I am an interior designer um, based out of Jackson, Mississippi, but we work um, nationally. We travel all over the United States and do work um, pretty much. We've I think we've worked in 32 states. So I'm about to have a baby um, in a few weeks. Oh my and goodness. so my my current travel schedule has been a little clipped, but in general, I'm in a plane or on the road, um, usually at least one night a week. Um, I actually got my um, degree in accounting, so I started a career mm. as a CPA in public accounting. I worked for Big Four Firm and kind of all that jazz, um, and it was right um, in 2008, um, obviously the middle of a recession, so it was a great mm. job and a good um a good you know background and certainly um it seems completely unrelated to interior design and in many ways it is but when it comes to running a business and having employees and mm-hmm. and all those kinds of things it's been you know probably the most helpful the most helpful background I could have imagined having so um mm-hmm. but I ended up um, going to work for a commercial development company which was sort of how I forayed into design. I worked on budgeting their projects and kind of um, worked on, you know, doing sort of the financial end of a lot of their work, but also selected some building materials and things like that as well. And um, I'd always wanted to be an interior designer. I always loved design. Um, It truly has been um, a passion of mine my entire life. Mm -hmm. And, And I think 
um, that career change kind of helped me sort of, you know, launch that and, and create kind of the perfect job for myself. Um, and it was, obviously I'm abbreviating (laughs) the story a bit, but after a few years there, I went and, um, kind of apprenticed with a great, um, residential designer here in Jackson who I love. She's been a fabulous mentor to me. We're still very, very close. And, um, and then eventually went out on my own. And, um, now I have a team of eight, I believe. Um, and, we operate out of our office here in Jackson, and um, everybody kind of does something different. I'm the only designer, but I have a few assistants, and I've got someone that does my purchasing and someone that does my billing and someone that kind of sets up and mans our installs. And so I've got a great support staff, and that um, is definitely integral for, for any career, but it's been super helpful in mine. Um, so that's kind of the then to now. That's awesome. I love that you said, like, you know, obviously you're based in Jackson, but you've, I think you said 32 states. Um, how has it been, obviously, like, throughout your career, um, establishing yourself locally, but then kind of expanding that throughout the country? Kind of what was the process? Like, did you start off with a bunch of local Jackson clients and then kind of grow out of there? Or was it just, like, started off and it was kind of all over the country? You know, it's so interesting because that, I get asked that question a lot, and I don't even know the answer. Um, <laughs> I look back on it and think, you know, I don't really know how all this happened. I, I think um, word of mouth is is the mm. way that my business has grown locally, without a doubt, and just you know, being a hard worker and um, trying to have integrity and 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 doing our best in every job. You know, I think that. Um, that speaks, you know, volumes more than, than marketing. We have been mm-hmm. in a lot of different great publications and things like the Scout Guide that um, I think have reinforced my brand locally. But I think the main thing that's really launched um, my business locally is probably word of mouth. Um, mm-hmm. As far as a more national presence, that is... Um, you know, I always say I should really ask how people found me. Some people volunteer, <laughs> and I do think Instagram, you know, it's such a connector. Um, right, yeah. Instagram is definitely, um, and Pinterest, you know, a way to kind of mm. click a picture and see an image and think, I want that. Cause, um, and, and I am constantly shocked at the people that will just reach out to me on Instagram and ask for the best email address and email my assistant and, and have these great projects and trust us from just, you know, a beautiful picture. So, you know, I do think social media has been integral in, in kind of the connection of what we do to a broader audience. Um, but in general, you know, and some of my, my out-of-town work has been second homes for local clients or mm-hmm. um, family members of, of local clients. But I think um, the number one principle um, – is is kind of word of mouth and and yeah. that's that's what we try to you know we aim for we strive for a happy client and a client that would want to use us again and want to recommend us mm-hmm. so I think that's probably um the best way that we've kind of expanded right yeah. so when you say clients what um kind of uh spaces are you usually working with and what kind of clients are you working for is it really kind of um, 
you know, residential homes? Is it just one room? Is it a whole house? Is it commercial spaces? What does that look like? So I think, I think it's a mix of both things. I think we do, um, we, I would say we're 80% residential. I think most of what we do, um, is residential. Um, you know, we, we do do commercial work. We also do some hospitality work. Mm -hmm. We've done some sorority houses. Mm -hmm. Um, I've done, I'm working in a hotel right now. And, you know, I think, um, being able to do all of the different, you know, the different things we've done offices and, um, dental offices and and Mm -hmm. it, it keeps it interesting, but I would say the majority of our work is probably, um, most heavily residential. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so we know for um, not just interior design, but kind of really any kind of design, um, finding a style and staying consistent with that is really a powerful way to, I guess, like you said, build that that client base um, and, you know, have people think like, oh, if you want a space that's blank, you need to call Betsy. Um, how did you kind of find your style and establish that and kind of stay consistent in that or in you know how would you define it I know defining your style is like the hardest question in the world but yeah no uh, that's a great question though I, you know I try not to um, impart my own personal style too much on my clients I think mm-hmm. obviously people hire us and are drawn to us maybe um, because of a you know a picture that they've seen or mm-hmm. um, uh, you know an image or, or, or something that they're you know, drawn to that they've seen that we have done. Um, Mm -hmm. That being said, you know, we, I try to kind of get in their head and, and, and figure out how they live and see, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what do they specifically want? How do they live? Um, How many kids do they have? Do they have pets? Um, How do they work? You know, I think the way that um, we live our lives is, is integral really in the design experience. And that's obviously different for, for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I try to certainly leave my mark on a space and try to kind of help, um, designate, you know, ideas or opinions. We don't want anyone to make, um, a large mistake on our watch, but at the same time, um, try to let their specific preferences lead, um, lead their Mm -hmm. projects versus, my own um, style. Now, you know, in my own home, I think um, I'm, I love antiques. I love um, more um, the juxtaposition of that with, you know, more abstract art or um, Mm -hmm. more contemporary items. And I think um, my my own home is probably more of a mix of of those things. I wouldn't necessarily call it transitional or, um, you know, I, I try to shy very away from any trend um, mm-hmm. because I'm so overexposed to it. Um, but yeah. I will definitely get tired of it. You know, the acrylic bar stool trend um, and things <laughs> like that. Um, I just, you know, I, it's something that I can appreciate and like in the correct space, but it's, it, it's overdone. So I try to keep my own home, you know, invest in what I really love and wait until I know what that is or can afford that. Um, so that I'm not constantly redoing. Um, so I think maybe if if I were to define my style in my own space, it would be a little bit more traditional probably than even the work that um, that you see online. And, you mm-hmm. know, we usually 
use contemporary art or maybe a contemporary textile or, you know, um, even a more contemporary upholstery shape um, mm-hmm. to, you know, inject a room with a feeling of a more youthful vibe. But we would, you know, if I used a very modern chair, I might use um, a more traditional fabric on it. So I think it's just the mix of all those things, um, regardless of your style, that keeps it interesting and keeps it feeling um, personal to you versus looking like, you know, it came straight out of a a restoration hardware catalog. Right. Yeah. Definitely. So I just came up with a quick question. So Mm -hmm. like you said, you have a team of, of eight but because you're the only designer, every single client is working directly with you, correct? Like every, you're, you're choosing, or you have a, like a hand in every space that your team designs, correct? Yeah. So I okay. pretty much um, select every fabric, every finish. Um, okay. And then they kind of do a lot of that, you know, the, the pricing and, yeah, and the yeah. communicating yeah. In, mm-hmm. in some cases. And in some cases, even the install. I mean, you know, pre-COVID, we could install an entire house in three to four months and we would Mm -hmm. you know usually have one large installation and I would never miss them but post you know in the COVID world that we live in where shipping is a disaster and lead times are a disaster we may have to you know install someone you go over five times or ten times and I obviously can't um go every every single to every install in that situation so I think um I focus on, you know, doing the actual design work. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm the person that writes every single work order for every client, which is, you know, basically telling my upholstery or drapery or um, any, you know, any involved workroom exactly, you know, the specifications of what we need for the job. And I do that whether it's, you know, a huge client or just a little smaller e-design nursery or something like that. Um, so I definitely control um, the actual design process and design work uh, at this time. We'll see how um, adding baby number two to the mix and, you know, <laughs> if, if I'm still able to do that because we, you know, we have a high client um, volume mm-hmm. and, and a mm-hmm. lot of our clients are repeat clients. So we may be doing, you know, we have a minimum, but we if we've done, you know, a large project for someone and they just need to come back and kind of update pillows or things like that, you know, of course we want to help them with that. And, um, regardless of the size of the project and, um, you know, and time will tell if I need to, um, hire a junior designer Mm -hmm. at some point. Um, but for now it's, it's just me, um, in that realm and, um, you know, all of my, my support staff, which they do so much, um, and I don't mean to downplay their involvement because they do so much work. I mean, they oh, yeah. are, <laughs> they are, you know, sp- all day, every day, pricing things and on the phone and scheduling installs and um, just the, the detail that is required mm-hmm. to kind of get, um, to get these jobs completed um, mm-hmm. takes a lot of hands. And so I definitely have a lot of help, but... For now, as far as the the final say on design decisions, it's just me. Mm-hmm. So with design, I think like this can relate to interior design, but it also can relate to um, 
graphic design and web design, I think making sure that you're a good fit with the client is super important. So what, especially like you said that, you know, you're putting personal touches and you're making sure that you, you know, understand the client and what their life is like. So what is the process of kind of making sure that you are a good fit with a client and that, you know, it's a, a good a good relationship both ways and is there a time when you would say no to a client if you're not a good fit yes I think that that the answer to that question is twofold so I think obviously interior design is a um it's it's a little bit of a misunderstood industry um every designer has a different process and a different way of doing things so it's not you know, black and white, this is exactly how it works process. So sometimes, you know, it may just be that someone seems a little difficult, but they may, they may not really understand exactly mm-hmm. the, the process. process. And, in, and in that situation, you know, I think that's totally understandable. And, and we try to just kind of educate them on what we do um, and how we do it. Um, and, and generally that, you know, kind of irons out most of the kinks. There have been a few clients though um, that we call nightmare clients and those um you know it's it's really more being determined um to work their way versus yours and yeah you know most clients are not are not that way um but we've had several situations and I'm thinking of one this fall um where you know it was a smaller project for us but um this client just kind of we had already designed the whole room, sent fabric samples, kind of been through the whole process. And she just continuously kind of told us, you know, this is, we need to schedule a conference call every, you know, once a week. We need to do this. We need to, and she really wanted to control the process. But of course, that's not really the point. How to implement the process. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I, you know, I, I said, I'm so sorry, but we, we will not be able to help um, any mm-hmm. further, and I don't. I don't say that often because I, again, I think most, you know, most client. I won't say friction, but most figuring out whether or not you're a good fit is truly just the education of exactly what happens in the right. design process. Yeah. Um, but there are definitely cases where, you know, we can tell from the beginning. And, and we won't, you know, move forward with working for, with them, certainly, um, if it, there are red flags initially, um, that they, you know, are not going to be able to work, you know, the way that we are, that we want to, to be efficient. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and then there's clients, you know, I will say 99% of our clients have been wonderful mm-hmm. throughout you know, of course, they may be frustrated that it takes nine months to get their sofa, but they <laughs> right. personally can't. Right, it's not your personal um, fault. <laughs> no, and they really, you know, I mean, I have people that have waited nine, ten months um, for pieces of furniture, and they have been so gracious to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and they may complain, or they may say, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, but I hate to ask again, but is there an update? Mm-hmm. But, you know, um. But in general, we've only had one or two clients that just truly did not understand. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, that did, we had one specifically, another that I can think of that her husband, I think, just didn't understand, you know, the timeline. And, you know, you want to say, have you turned on the news? Because, you know, the shipping <laughs> right. is, you know, yeah. is well documented, mm-hmm. you know. Um, mm-hmm. 
So there is definitely um, a client that, you know, will come to us and we can tell off the bat that it's, it's not going to be difficult, bit. right? Yes. And what we do then is we just find out the parameters or kind of the scope of work of their project and just kind of share that it's not how we are able to work. And sometimes it may just be that their project doesn't line up with our timeline. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with them personally. Right. Um, But there have been a few situations where we had to bow out mid project because um, because of just complete. Um, misunderstandings of, of how it worked and, right. and despite yeah. you know attempts to kind of explain well this is this is what working with us looks like you know right. they were still um, a little bit you know that didn't really want to work there was a the gap that, in like understanding I guess understanding right, right. and um, and this is such a tough time for this industry and in any industry so you can you can understand too and it's hard to it's hard to understand why it would take nine months for a sofa to come from North Carolina, but it does. Right. I can, right. I can attest. My right. Own yeah. And especially it, a um, lot of the time, if they're if they're hiring an interior designer, it's most likely because they don't have the understanding really of, or not the understanding, but I guess the you know capabilities themselves. So, in most yeah. of the time, they probably right. wouldn't understand anyways but I love the term that you've been using of education because I think that Katie and I Mm -hmm. through we've done like freelance um, illustration and graphic design and I think that that is such a a good way to phrase it that it's not that they're purposefully judging you or purposefully trying to disrespect you it's really just that there's a gap in understanding and um, education so what is what is a suggestion for if there's a you know a freelancer or small business owner that um, feels that maybe there is just a lack of understanding and education. How do you how how do you kind of approach that conversation without it being like, well, this is the way that things are, and you're just you don't get it, you know, without having right. kind of that like disrespectful tone, I guess. Sure, because it's it's truly not. Um, well, I think you know the first thing you remember, of course, is that. They're the client. You are providing a service, even if you're just answering an email. Right. Even if it's not someone that's hired you and is paying you, I think, um, you know, tone is important and it can be misinterpreted via, via email. Um, but I think being, um, being st- strong, but being kind at the same time, and just explaining your process. And, and like yeah. I said, ninety five percent of the time that works. And mm-hmm. if you can do that eloquently and efficiently and and with and and with the complete understanding that this is just you know maybe their first rodeo the first time they've done this right um then you know I think I think that's always a super helpful um way to go about it but there will there will always be one-off situations um to that where um someone may not be kind to you or may just be mm-hmm. insistent upon kind of working their way and I think you know you can't you can't change the way that those people will react you can only change the way that you act to it so I think um trying to remove yourself from the situation is the best the best course of action right um, because if someone's showing you you know especially from the beginning of a project that you know they're not going to be easy to work with I can tell you it does not matter what the project budget is yes yeah. work is if 
It's not going to get better. Yeah. (laughs) It's not going to make, it's not going to get better. And that one client could truly steal the joy from 50 others, which seems (laughs) insane. Very true. Yep. But it's true. It's something that we've definitely seen in our business is we can be working so hard and so many extra hours, especially with, you know, the shipping and the COVID um, Mm -hmm. delays and things like that and, and have so many great, you know, clients and understand that we truly are doing all that we can. And then one, you know, that kind of throws everything off. Yeah. And, and you, and that's what you focus on. And that's just, you know, um, learning your, you know, personally, I think learning, which I'm definitely still doing because I'm a people pleaser, but to just, you know, not internalize that Mm -hmm. and not Not take um, it personally. Right. Because, um, you have no idea what that person today has been like, and you're probably getting that email because of a million things going on in their life that you will never know. So I try to remember that, but it can be, you know, especially if you're, if you're wired to want everyone to be happy and, um, and when you connect your work to that, and for me, and just like a lot of entrepreneurs, I mean, I work, you know, there is no telling how many hours a week to the point oh. of where yeah. it, you know, and it's not an unhealthy obsession with work. It's just that, you know, there's so much work to be done. And especially right now, you know, I mean, it, with COVID again, and I continue to bring it up, but it's just such a... Um, a shadow on the industry right now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we may have something on order for six months and all of a sudden that side table is going to ship, you know, instead of next week and six more months. And so then we have to go and pull a sub and there's a lot of double work. And, um, you know, that creates a lot of, you know, putting my little girl to sleep and back on the computer at 9 PM. In fact, right. last night I'm 34 weeks pregnant and, um, worked from until 2 a.m. and was back up at 6, you know, God. because there was just stuff that had to be done. And yeah. I think when, yeah. you, when you know that you're working that hard and doing that much and um, and then it seems that the client, you know, doesn't realize that, it, it yeah. can be right. frustrating. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think not only is it, like, you connecting your worth with your work, it's also, like, like you said, if, if stuff doesn't get done, it's kind of, like, your ass on the line, like, it's your name. Like, it's Betsy Mosby Interiors, so I think I, right. me and Alexis have had that feeling before where it's, like, it will work as many hours as it takes for something to be done because it's my it's business, you know? Sure. So, and I think, like, that can definitely, obviously, we talk a lot on the podcast about, like, taking breaks, which is important, yeah. but also, like you said, when curveballs are thrown, sometimes it's just a 2 a.m. situation. You just got to keep going, so we, we know that Right, because it's definitely not you know, the design assistant's problem, you know, it's right. nobody's, right. you exactly. know, but, but at the end of the day, when you own your own business, it's, you're the one on the line. And I think exactly. there's a lot of power in that as well. You know, there's a lot of flexibility, um, and a lot of, you know, I'm able to do a lot of things that I wouldn't be able to do. Right. If you if didn't. didn't. Yep. But, but it is a double-edged sword. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely. <laughs> so yeah. on the same vein of kind of advocating for yourself with, um, like, you know, if if you're not willing to do something, you know, that's like out of your range, you know, you they can't be like, you know, like that client you're referencing, like they can't just make decisions willy-nilly. Um, mm-hmm. How do you advocate for your pricing and making sure that you're kind of confident 
um, and consistent with that as you've established yourself over the over the years. Well, you know, we have a competitive pricing package. It's, you know, generally our clients, when we um, get into kind of how we price and how it works, are, you know, they don't understand. Um, they think it's going to be so much more expensive. But generally when you use a designer, you know, it's not. It's, it could be less expensive or certainly at least, you know, wouldn't be more expensive um, to use a designer. And so generally when we go over pricing and kind of explain the way that we work, um, clients are, are pleasantly surprised. Mm -hmm. Um, but that being said, you know, I don't believe that our value is found in, in the pricing. Cause you know, we are still, um, we're selling a higher quality product. Yeah. We're customizing mm -hmm. the sofa with the outdoor fabric so that you can have it for longer. So even at, you know, a discount from the retail price, it's, it, it's, it could be more expensive than something you can find on Wayfair or something right, right? Mm -hmm. and so right. the client for me is not the one um that you know is going to try to compare right a custom higher end item to an overstock or a big box kind of item mm -hmm. um yeah but that being said you know I we try to be fair on pricing and make sure that our clients feel you know that they have um, received a great value from our work, but at the same time, um, I think, I hope that our value is found far outside of, um, of the pricing structure and that we are, um, you know, I sat down earlier today with a client that's starting the new build process and she's a physician and, you know, she's got four children and doesn't have a lot of time. And when we were kind of walking her through the plans and this is, you know, breaking ground next week and kind of getting final submittal to the HOA this week and it's overwhelming and so I think we were able to kind of calm her down and kind of walk her yeah. through the process mm -hmm. and explain you know this is what happens next and this is what you know you're gonna need to do next and kind of break it down into a digestible um amount for today you know right. so that she's not up at night and I think our value is hopefully found um more more there um versus um and in the pricing I love that I think that's a really good um way to think about that that is different from how especially as somebody starting you think like I think something that a lot of people stress over is like pricing does kind of determine like like you said it can kind of determine value so you don't want to um like underprice yourself or overprice yourself but I think that's a that's a really good perspective. Um, okay, so if you could give one piece of advice, if somebody is listening right now and they're like, I've just always wanted to be an interior designer, like, what do I, you know, that's that's my dream. Um, and of course, there's so much advice you could give, but what's your, like, top thing? If you could tell your younger self something, what would that be? Well, I think, you know, the number one thing you can do is go work for someone and get some experience. Um, mm -hmm. But also, you know, Interior design is, you know, such a multifaceted industry. And mm -hmm. I think for me, um, my whole life, I've been obsessed with design, but also very drawn to art and fashion and architecture mm -hmm. and, um, and travel. And I think those things are really kind of how I, how I fell further in love with design. So I think it's finding out what makes you tick and, like, what are you the most drawn to and excited um, by kind of and excited by and and then let those things inspire you so whether it is 
travel. I get tons of inspiration from travel. Um, my husband and I travel a good bit, and then I also travel a lot for work. And mm-hmm. it may be, you know, a color combination or a sunset or mm-hmm. you know, any just getting out of your comfort zone. And, and so I think for me, the most helpful thing, certainly working um, in the field and, and working for other talented people has been super helpful. But I think learning to kind of um, figure out what makes me tick and kind of what makes my, um, what sets me apart has really been the most helpful the most helpful thing. And and there's lots of interior designers that are um, are really inspired by totally different things. So I think, yeah. um, but for me, you know, I would say travel and, and fashion, you know, the fashion industry is also um, something I've always loved to follow and the colors of the, mm-hmm. of the season and kind of the shapes and those kinds of things. Those have always, those kinds of influences have really been how I, um, was able to kind of hone my my skill and my my personal eye, and I think um, whatever that looks like for you, that would be my my number one piece of advice. Even before working for someone, is figure out what you love and what makes you tick and right. and excited about design, and and then you'll kind of figure out your reference point from there. I love, I love that, that answer. Yes. Um, okay. So, random questions. These are just silly. Um, <laughs> after we've just talked okay. about all of this extremely <laughs> helpful stuff. Um, okay. So, what is, and for me and Alexis, obviously, this answer is going to be kind of different, but what is your favorite piece of decor to add to a room? Or, like, what do you get most excited to, like, if you're, you know, for a client, like, you're, or yourself shopping for a certain decor item or piece? Like, what's just, you're like, yes, I'm so excited to, get a couch or you know whatever it is for you <laughs> couch. right well couch is a, a good place to start I think art for me is really mm-hmm. the um what drives home most spaces there's so many artists that I'm so inspired by and yeah and and their work just you know it sometimes we commission pieces for a room probably more than half the time but but also sometimes we'll just happen upon a piece that just seems like it wouldn't match anything in the room, but it's perfect for the space. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. there are several artists that I just adore and we work with all the time. One's Alexis Walters out of New Orleans. And we were in New Orleans on Friday um, meeting with a client um, and stopped by her studio. And, I, you know, I saw so many pieces in there that she uses a lot of color, but in a really interesting way. Um, mm-hmm. And that just felt so inspiring to me to kind of um, finish off a scheme and it, and it incorporates so many colors in a room that may not be present in any textile or, mm-hmm. or any other yeah. piece of art or um, that kind of personalizes the space, right? So anyone can um, technically, you know, buy the same fabric and reupholster their chair. Um, right, but they're not going to have the but, same piece of artwork most likely. They can't have the same piece of original art. Right. And I think, you know, we certainly try not to duplicate anything. I mean, we have, of course, used fabrics more right. than once. But we certainly wouldn't, um, even for a client in San Francisco versus, you know, Washington, D.C., we want to re- reimagine everything kind of for the client's specific taste. But, yeah, um, you know, I think the way that... 
you incorporate art and then also antiques or family heirlooms mm-hmm. um, are what set a room or a space totally apart. Mm-hmm. And I think that's super important to um, that every room have elements like that that can't be replicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I... You want me to go, Alexis? I, I was, I, mine are basically off of exactly what you just said, so I feel very <laughs> validated. Um, but I am looking right now, I have pretty much always been obsessed with chinoiserie, the like, um, you know, sure. ginger jar kind of thing. And I love that you said vintage, because that, at first, I really was finding them, at, you know, like Marshalls and, you know, home goods and whatever. And I wasn't really picking them up because I think and I didn't I didn't realize it at the time, but I think they felt like not as genuine. Um, mm-hmm. And I started going to um, you know secondhand shops and vintage shops and finding like genuine you know vintage chinoiserie and been cultivating kind of a collection. Um, and I just love those and I think that they have so much more history. Um, but also the other aspect is my paintings. I went to school for art education and so mm-hmm. I had to have like a bunch of painting classes and so I have just even at my mom's house I have just paintings in my old closet in my old childhood bedroom that are like literally you can't close the door. Um, but I think one of my favorite parts of having my own space is finding different paintings that remind me of a time of my life that was really fun and inspiring. And I think being able to look at those, like you said, it kind of just brings like a personal touch. And especially for me, it's like, you know, art that I created myself. So it's even more of a personal touch. But yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you should save every bit of that because your grandchildren and yeah. your children will want will want that one day. I mean, if my house were to catch on fire tonight, I have a piece, an acrylic um, <laughs> painting that my grandmother did. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was really not an artist, but she, for a brief period of time in her life, kind of took up painting. And this painting um, is beautiful. It's a landscape. Um, I have it hanging um, in my bar at home, and I've... I've I took it to to the Southern Living House that I did a few years ago and hung it in there. It's Mm -hmm. been in a couple of other show houses. It kind of travels with me. But, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, the most expensive piece of art that I have. Right. she did it. Um, Oh, it's priceless. It's it's priceless. And so I think, um, and it reminds me of her house and of of Mm -hmm. where it was. And I think that is what art um, is supposed to evoke. And that is what rooms are supposed to evoke is a feeling and I think mm. you know that can't all be purchased or planned from you know even my desk a lot of it you know yeah. has to come from life in person and from life yes and you know sometimes clients want you know to move in and have every trinket perfectly placed but we want them to have you know their own personal happy touch. To fill in. yes and we of course you know bring in filler and coffee table books and right. like that but but I want them to go to their grandparents house and you know take some great old wooden boxes or things that mm-hmm. um even if they're not a thing of great beauty that means something to them and to their family mm-hmm. um I think that is super important Definitely. yeah I um going off of that same thing I was uh, everybody who listens to the podcast knows that my grandmother passed away like a couple of months ago but um obviously sad but we then obviously had to get everything out of her house and mm-hmm. every single member of my family's house I've seen and my apartment of course me and Alexis are like young and have just like 
up little apartments. But I've seen everybody's houses like transform with her pieces. Um, like I'm the table that I'm on right now um, is her a table from her house. That desk over there in my room is hers. Um, and just like all of those pieces are one just like such a beautiful like this is just a beautiful wooden table but obviously they have so much meaning and um like when my family members come to my apartment they're like oh that's rosie's table you know um and i think that it like like you said it gives more it's not necessarily value it's just like sentiment to a space um and i i've loved trying to find ways to like make um like fit her pieces in with like my style um and i think that's really a like, even my bed is this old, like, iron bed that was, I think, my mom's grandma's. And it while it weighs, like, a thousand pounds um, and <laughs> yep. is difficult to move from place to place, um, it's so, like, special to my family. Literally every single piece of furniture I have, I think, other than my bar cart is family piece. Um, and I'm lucky to be able to have such beautiful family pieces so young. But, yeah, definitely love getting to work those in with my pieces. I think it's um, fun and adds more value to a space. But next random question, last random question is much more lighthearted and unrelated to everything we've talked about. <laughs> um, but when you guys are listening to this, it's almost New Year's. So we decided to throw in what is your favorite New Year's tradition? So Betsy, you can you can start us off. Okay, so I love, we love to host friends. I love to host, um, I love China and all of that, you know, all yeah. the old, you know, mm-hmm silver and using my um all my good my good things i'm a big believer in um in using what you have and <laughs> yeah. have so much china i'm the youngest grandchild on both sides both my um grandmothers passed away right before i got married but i have um both of their sets full several sets of china from each of them um i actually also own um a china um, or a kind of a high-end home store, and we have a wedding registry as part of that. So we have access to, obviously, every China brand in the world. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, so we generally host kind of some neighbors and friends on, on New Year's Eve for a dinner party. And my husband loves to cook. Um, I do not. I'm not a good cook, but I love to set the table. So <laughs> we make a good good pair, and I will cater the sides and hold you the meat or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. This year... Um, so that's what we generally do. We, we, we have people over and kind of celebrate in style. This year, I will be having a baby or we'll have just had one. <laughs> oh, wow. So we will probably be doing nothing. Um, Love that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Watching the ball um, drop on the TV and trying to stay Yes, awake or... it'll be a very quiet New Year's Eve. My husband yeah. um, is determined he's going to go to the Sugar Bowl, which is, um, mm-hmm. you know, in New Orleans on, on New Year's Day. So... Yeah, my family's going to that, too. I'm from Baton really? Rouge, so, yeah. Oh, got it. Okay. Um, yeah, so they were all talking about that the other day. Yeah, and I said, I don't know if you are going to actually do that. Because we're going to have that. <laughs> Not so there sure might be a baby, so, I don't know. <laughs> uh-huh. But, but so New Year's may look a little different this year, but it mm-hmm. is something that um, that we love to do. And it's also, I collect um, champagne flutes for my little girl and give her one that she obviously has no access to. I mean, she opens the box and then we put it up (laughs) every New Year's Eve so that when she's Mm -hmm. 18, she'll have 18 to kind of toast 
her friends with, and um, I have the year engraved on the bottom. Um, That's so sweet. Because I think it's a fun, a fun reminder just to always be celebrating something, and um, and always be you know trying to bring people together and and to use your good stuff. If you if you're mm-hmm. one of those people that my grandmother me, always never, said that. So yes, <laughs> don't leave your china in boxes and get it from your parents' home. I mean, so many right. of my friends have you know never even moved their wedding you know registry gifts from their mom's you know attic or attic whatever to their, yep. <laughs> yeah. To, yeah. to their grown-up homes mm-hmm. and I'm like no you have to you have to get it and use that stuff because mm-hmm. yeah um that's what it's for and so that is yeah. how we typically celebrate new year's and I know we are all ready for a new year after this crazy one so hopefully Gosh. hopefully we'll we were... be able to do something to celebrate I've been talking to my mom about how 2021 has been worse than 2020. I mean, obviously, yeah. a lot of bad things happened mm-hmm. in 2020, but 2021 has been a doozy. Um, my favorite tradition, of course, I am, what am I, 22. So traditions are like you had your families and then you had your, you were in college. And then, so I'm just kind of in the part where I would be forming my own. Um, not necessarily quite there because it's just me, myself, and I right now and my dog. But um, <laughs> every year I do watch the ball drop on TV. That is the one consistent of my new years um i'm not a big firework gal um they kind of freak me out so i prefer a ball drop and then new year's day we always have like all the things that you're supposed to eat to like make you rich and healthy and all that stuff Mm, my mom always cooks yeah Mm -hmm. yes so love doing that um and my family will all sit down kind of for a meal um so that's like kind of similar to yours love just sitting down with people and and enjoying Absolutely. A fun time. That's been the best way to celebrate. Definitely. Yes. Alexis, um, what is yours? For me, I'm kind of, I'm a little bit older. I'm 24, but I also am kind of in the stage of, you know, I don't really have traditions as like with my fiance and I, we don't really have traditions except, you know, from like our college days of, you know, going to like yeah. a party and like not really my style. Um, yeah. So really, I think... An aspirational tradition would honestly be, Betsy, pretty much exactly what you explained. I can't wait until I have a space that is big enough and nice enough to host um, parties. And I also love doing, like, tablescapes and everything. Um, Mm -hmm. So I absolutely love that idea. But for right now, my ideal New Year's Eve is being on the couch. Because that's, Mm -hmm. you know, just... (laughs) really the ideal for me really at all times but you know (laughs) yeah well I think New Year's can be very overrated so it's good to create a tradition that you look forward to Mm -hmm. um because generally if we've if we've headed out to some you know New Year's party or to dinner at a restaurant where it's a set menu it's usually a letdown so um you're better (laughs) off so true (laughs) (laughs) yes Yes. Um, okay, Betsy, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you on social media, your website, all that good stuff, in case they want to see a little bit more. Well, I'm hoping that by the time this airs, my website will be back up. It is under construction, um, but that is just BetsyMosby.com. It's B-E-T-S-E-Y-M-O-S-B-Y. Um, and then my Instagram handle is Betsy Mosby Interiors. Um, and that that's the best way to find me. Amazing. Well, thank you guys for listening. Be sure to leave us a rating and review on wherever you listen to your podcasts and subscribe to keep up with our weekly episodes. 
And then follow us on TikTok at Check Your Aesthetic and over on Instagram at Check Your Aesthetic Podcast. And our personal accounts, Katie Creative Co. and AlexisAdams.co and Betsy Mosby. Was it Betsy Mosby Interiors? Yes. Betsy Mosby Interiors. Perfect. Yes. And we will talk to you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks, guys. Thank you.